broadcasting from the Las Colinas-based KATH 910 AM studios of the Guadalupe Radio Network. This is DFW Alive. Thanks for joining us as we discuss ways we can all spread the good news of Jesus Christ and the Catholic faith right here in North Texas. Well, good afternoon, DFW. I am Matt Variki, the superintendent of the Diocese of Dallas, and I'm here with Veronica Alonzo, our associate superintendent. Together, we're very happy to take over DFW Alive this week and bring you the Super Hour, a monthly discussion about how Catholic schools help prepare our students for college and heaven. To all of you out there listening live on the radio, the website, simulcast, or the podcast, thank you for making us a part of your day. We have a great show for you today, and we're going to be talking about some institutions that are making a huge difference in our community by serving underserved populations. That means we'll be bringing you Deacon Jake Shrepfer, the president of, of St. John Paul II High School in Plano, who's working on a project to reimagine JP2 and take a lead as a Catholic college preparatory hub in the greater Collin County area. As the population continues to grow in the northern sector, JP2 is a key to extending the ministry focus of the Catholic Church, especially here in Dallas. From there, we're going to bring you Joe Dingman and Lydia Torres of the Catholic Housing Initiative, a group that is dedicated to providing safe, affordable housing to vulnerable seniors and families and improving their quality of life. They currently have 768 units of quality, affordable, service-enriched senior and family housing at six sites in Dallas, Capel, Carrollton, and Mesquite. And they've partnered with the Catholic Schools Office and Catholic (coughs) Schools and the Diocese to help provide education to the most vulnerable among us, making them an organization that is really caring for others straight from the hospital, straight to heaven. Before that, though, we definitely need to talk about the fact that we are right in the midst of graduation season, and this has been just another really successful year within the diocese. So, Veronica, I know you're excited. I'm definitely excited about everything going on. In fact, I'm going to be at Bishop Dunn's graduation tonight. I would tell you where and when it is, but frankly, they don't have any more space. <laughs> so we're, uh, we're <laughs> excited by, to see You need them. tickets, I know. Uh, you know, and the, but, but the reality is that is, I mean, that's a great problem to have is that we have so many of our students from different schools, but, but particularly at Bishop Dunn, who are going to be the first to graduate in their families and to head on to college, that, I mean, it is a special moment that they want to share with their extended family. So they do award as many graduation tickets as they can so that that community can be a better part of it. Um, and so and ultimately, this is the best part of the year for us because this is where we know that we are really preparing them for college in heaven. And so I'll, I'll kind of go through some of those particular pieces of information. Yeah, one of the interesting things about this is that the, the bishop and I in the Catholic Schools Office go to all of our high school graduations. Um, we're not able to get to all seven of them. Some are at the same time. So we split them off. But one of the really fun ones was Bishop Lynch last weekend. One of the things that they do at Bishop Lynch is as the, as the graduates are walking across the stage, they mention which college they're going to. And just by coincidence, the very last graduate that they had up until that moment had listed a certain college on his list. And right as they were about to walk through, he went up to one of the counselors and he's like, hey, I want to I need to change my college. I'm not I'm not going to that anymore. Oh, was the counselor and was nervous? The counselor was a little <laughs> nervous. And he said, you know, it's OK, though, because I want to go to Holy Trinity Seminary. So no one. In that, in their auditorium knew. None of the students knew. None of the teachers knew. The only person who knew was this counselor. So they announce his name, say Holy Trinity Seminary, and everyone jumped up with a standing ovation. The crowd was shouting. You heard, that's my boy! You know, (laughs) just really, really incredible things. And I think it goes to show exactly what we hope 
Catholic schools are all about, that we're leading these kids to both college and heaven. And, and, you know, that's an extreme example. But to have 250 other kids sitting there cheering on the seminary, and no one cheered when I said I was going to Notre Dame. It's kind of more <laughs> just like, oh, boy, wish it would have been Michigan. I mean, so those elements, I, I think, are just so important for us to continue to share with people out in the community. Yeah, you're right. You know, I was able to kind of quickly grab some of the information from our Catholic high schools leading up to our radio show because we have, I think, four or five graduations this weekend, tonight, Sunday. Uh, so, yes, we are working through the weekend. You'll see us at these various graduations. But on average this year, we're looking at a 99% um, high school graduation rate. And, uh, you know, with it being 100% by the end of the summer and, you know, but was also impressive is, you know, I reached out to the schools and I said, you know, all of these students have done all of this hard work. And at some of the schools, they've earned these great academic and merit scholarships. And for others, you know, they're able to rely on the financial aid, either through the government or the institution itself. But what do those numbers look like? Um so, for example, over at Bishop Dunn tonight, they're going to announce that their class as a whole this year is receiving $15 million worth of scholarships to go on to college to make it a reality. Um, over at John Paul II, they were awarded $17 million. Um, and Bishop Lynch being, you know, the larger of our three schools, they actually said that this year was the highest ever award of all of their years. Do you want to take a guess what that number is, Matt? Well, I was at their graduation, Veronica, so I don't think. Oh, you were paying attention. (laughs) Would be very fair. Okay, well, it's at twenty-three million dollars, so that's quite impressive, you know. And as a parent, you know, you make that investment in your child's education, um, and you know, you hope that they're going to get into the college of their choice, or at least be able to go to the college that's a good fit for them. And then it's just nice to put the cherry on top when you're able to receive some of that money to be able to help you afford and pay for it. And I think it's important to remember as you look at these graduating classes. Lynch has about 255 kids. Um, JP2 has around 165. And then, mm-hmm. you know, right at Bishop Dunn, we got 130 kids graduating tonight. And so these numbers, even though they kind of look comparable, kind of on a per person basis, really kind of tell a different story, which is there's a lot of incredible things which are going on for these kids that are coming from sometimes very vulnerable neighborhoods and being given a chance to succeed in a way that oftentimes in Dallas you don't get to if you're born in the wrong zip code. So we're really excited and proud of those elements. You're right. We are. You know, the other one is, you know, there are students that receive that are national merit scholars and those, you know, are are one less than one percent of a million within the United States. And we had four within our Catholic diocesan schools, 14 semifinalists and then five Hispanic scholars. So, I mean, so that's in and of impressive because for some of those students to have earned that designation and recognition, it opens doors for them to specific universities that have endowments that they're able to fund these students. So we're also proud of all of the teachers, if you're listening out there during your lunch break and what you're doing to prepare our students to be able to do this. Um, you know, but Matt, one of the other statistics that I've been asked and, you know, they said, Veronica, you guys say that 100 percent of the kids are graduating from high school. But how many of them are going to college? Well, guess what? I have that statistic, too. I'm ready for it. Uh, yeah. I mean, so as far as college bound, um, you know, we're looking at an average of about between 98 to 100 percent, depending on the school. And at one particular school, there's a few students that are taking a gap year that are going to either do net the national evangelization team. They're going to do 
a year of service or kind of go out and help the community. So they're still going to go to college. It may not be within this next fall, but definitely after that gap year. So, I mean, I'm pretty confident in that we are, you know, that, that we're close to that 100% college bound rate. I mean, and that can look, maybe they start here at the local level and then move on to, uh, you know, a four-year institution in state or out of state, et cetera. And I think the key aspect is that when we talk about access to college in heaven, we never say that every student has to go to college. But the important thing is they get that option. And all too often we see in Dallas, we see around the country that because of the zip code you're born in, you don't even get the choice. And so within an area like this right now, I mean, you can make a ton of money as a plumber. You can have a great life as an electrician. No one is denigrating any of those professions. Nobody's saying that that's not something which is worthwhile for our community. But we just want to make sure that our kids have choices. And when you're ultimately forced to do something, that's not a choice. And so it's really important that we continue to allow these kids to do those aspects. And we're great gap years, evangelization years, these ministry years. All of those things are really important so long as it is the child's choice and, and not the other way around. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, and we are proud. I know, you know, Bishop Lynch shared with me that 10% of their graduation class will be attending a Catholic institution of higher learning. And some of the ones that have, you know, and these are different universities I'm about to name across the country that various students will be attending. Notre Dame, our alma mater, Matt, uh, Georgetown, Boston College, Rutgers, University of Dallas here locally, Loyola, Loyola, all across the country, Chicago, Maryland. Paramount, et cetera, St. Edwards and St. Mary's and Our Lady of the Lake here in San Antonio, uh, Benedictine, et cetera. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's fantastic and it's a different, you know, it's a wonderful opportunity. I also saw that there was somebody, there were a few, I think, that were possibly going to go into the military academies or they're, they're going to go forth and serve our country um, in that capacity as well. And then I have a long list of in-state schools, you know, that our students are going to, you know, in Houston, they got Rice or UT Austin here locally, SMU, uh, TCU, Baylor, et cetera. I can go on and on. But as you said, you know, what, what our schools want to do with our college counselors is to really sit with the students and say, let's find a good school. What is it that you want to study? And if it is a technical school, then let's push you in that direction and make sure that you have the ability to perform well and to succeed. Yeah, and I would obviously love everyone to go to Notre Dame. I mean, that would be super exciting <laughs> to me, if nothing else, because Lynch's both valedictorian and salutatorian are both going to Notre Dame, and I was not in the top ten of my class. And so the more kids that are like me that went to Notre Dame, that would have been exciting for me. Instead, they keep getting smarter and smarter. I... um I don't think I could compete with them, you know, now, nowadays, but it is so important that again, we're giving choice and that students have this opportunity to get together to see what's really going to meet their needs academically, spiritually, morally, from a formation standpoint. Maybe that's close. Maybe that's far away. But again, they should not have that decided for them just because of where they're from and the schools that they're ultimately placed in. We yeah. want their parents to have a choice. You know, Matt, earlier you mentioned that, you know, we want certain from we know that students that live in certain zip codes in certain parts of the city, you know, have more hurdles and obstacles in their place. And we know that our Catholic schools are able to provide different opportunities. So one of the other statistics I've ha- I have here is that Bishop Dunn 
We're looking at 27% of their graduates in this senior class are the first generation to go to college. Now, I know that um, that they're very strategic in what they're doing. About a year ago, we had Monica de la Cerda talk about the College Ready Academy and the, sex, the success that that has had. Um, you know, but that's what you want. We want for those students who may have who may not even see this as an opportunity to actually be considering it and then feel successful when they walk onto those campuses this fall. Well, and I think that's why it's also important today that we're talking about this from a wraparound perspective, not just from the high school level, but then also from the people within our communities that are really saying, how do we affect these neighborhoods? How do we lead to change? And we know that people who are housing insecure are going to have trouble with this. And if they're constantly having to move around and they can't have that stability within their life, of course their kids are going to have trouble integrating into schools. I mean, that's one of the neat things about a place like Bishop Dunn, where students can have a seven-year advantage of really sticking together and being able to be within this nurturing, ongoing environment to lead them to that that goal of college and really beginning to open their eyes to it. Because for so many of these families, it's just not for you. If you come from a certain place or you act a certain way or you look a certain way or you have a certain job. And so it's really exciting to see these things begin to come together. And, and the excitement at a Bishop Dunn graduation, I, I, even though I won't tell you where it is and when it is, sometime in your life, you should at least get a video or feel the energy in the room. Because when people have this thing that has been denied to their families, sometimes for generations, it comes out in really amazing and earnest ways, and it's just really wonderful to see and witness. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, but the other thing, I know we focused a lot on the academics, but we also know that those students that take the gap gears are doing, you know, service learning and mission trips, and those happen throughout their high school careers. Um, and I know that uh, typically it's a senior um, privilege for the seniors, the 12th graders at each of these Catholic campuses to go off campus one day a week and to do a day of service. And we're we, we're thankful for those of you that are listening out there. If you've partnered with our Catholic schools to be able to provide a volunteer opportunity for these seniors, because we do want for them to, you know, spread the word of God and the joy um, and be with others um, in the community. And it could be at a local elementary school or at a nonprofit. But what we really ultimately want for them to do is say, look. You have been given a gift from God. Now you need to go out into the computer, into the community and spread the good word. Um, and JP too, and I'm hoping Deacon Jake later on can elaborate on this, but I know they had a day of philanthropy off campus at various locations. So we'll kind of let him expand on that as well. Um, <clears throat> but you know, Matt, after all these years, and I know, you know, you were primarily worked at elementary schools. Do you have any favorite graduation stories? Well, I mean, my own graduation was pretty amazing. It was uh, pretty wonderful in order to kind of get through the uh, the Catholic school experience. But, yeah, I mean, even within, I think, the grade school level, as you're beginning to see kids come alive and understand their faith and um, and come to a better understanding of what it means to be Catholic, to be within a community, to connect on those fundamental levels, it's, it's a really kind of humbling time. And from a grade school level, you're always – kind of caught in between two worlds, because on the one hand, you're celebrating them being less than halfway done with their education if they're doing it right, because hopefully they have another four years of high school and then at least another four years of college. But what I do see in those cases is that it is a chance for us to celebrate the formation of students and to celebrate really this next step and value of education. And sometimes those halfway points 
are the times which are important to celebrate to say, you know, we're going to continue to come on. I don't, I don't like when the eighth grade graduation comes in and people are saying things like, oh, we're going to love each other forever and we'll miss you so much. Um, because again, I mean, you're, you're 14. There's plenty of time it for, is. for but, those other aspects. But let, you know, but having been a middle school teacher, I think the difficult part that they're grasping with, and so are the parents, maybe they don't know how to communicate this, is that some of these students have been at this school since pre-K three. Yeah, I mean, you're talking, you're about talking 11 13, years. Exactly. Okay. You know, so it is going to be different to go something different to, for the parents to make new friends and for the students to go somewhere and learn. And it's easier when you, you know, when their classmates go with them to that uh, other various uh, high school experience. So, you know, so I, I do also do want to say that, yes, they will miss each other, Matt. Veronica and I have different views on nostalgia i tend to burn all my pictures at the end of the year so that we can start fresh and she's very much more kind of concerned about the past um that is uh that's a joke mom i don't do that the important thing i think that as we have as we get in together with all these things though are that we do have these moments around these graduations where these endings come together and you and you learn things i think about yourself and your school that you don't have before so when you ask about kind of my favorite story i had a student whose name was kale and every year within our school, we would ask one of the students to be voted on by their classmates to come together and ultimately tell a story about what it meant to be at our school and what they ultimately learned and took away from that. And every once in a while, we would have kids who would come in and they would just say, it was amazing. I had friends and we did fun things and we went to PE and resource was really nice and you'd listen to it and it would be fine. And then you'd get a kid like Kale who would come in and talk about something that just totally knocks you off your feet. So Kale talked about actually a janitor that we had at the school. And for most of his life, he thought this janitor's name was Mr. Russell. And it turned out it was because he wore Russell athletic pants everywhere. <laughs> but he would actually go to meet with Mr. Russell as a kindergartner at, at the end of every day. And he would talk with him and sometimes he would share a snack with him. And he was somebody who really had this profound impact on Kale's life. And so he tells this whole speech at graduation. And you would hope that within a school, they would come back and they would say things about math, science, social studies, you know, and various other things. But the most fundamental aspect of Kale's life was really this formation from an adult who wasn't in a direct teaching role who taught him about God. And in those elements, that's the kind of thing that I think only can happen within a Catholic school, where you can talk about faith, where you can authentically share these things, where you can begin to say, this is really how we form students to be more. Because, and I hate to say this, but we say it every week. You can ultimately get education at public schools, charter schools, at home, grab a book, sit in a corner of a library. The formation piece, that social and moral connection, really only happens within these contexts that we have right here. Yeah, and that, that's that's moving. And I have a story to share, but we may have to do it after the break because I think we're getting pretty close. Um, but I'll see how much I can get in. But I know it was it was a young lady who was a great student. And in March of her senior year, she kind of began to show up late to school and would fall asleep in class. Grades were, de- grades were declining. We spoke to her and we found out that her mom had lost her job. They didn't have a place to stay. They were crashing on people's couches. And she was working the night shift because she was trying to pay for tuition so she could finish her senior year at school. Um, 
And so as soon as we found out, you know, we stepped in and we found him some more homes, et cetera. And we were just super, super excited about it. Um, she graduated. So walking across the stage, when you talk about Bishop Dunn, those are the stories where you get the big hugs and the large and the l- large smiles and large clapping. I am so sorry that I stepped all over your story because that was way better than mine. <laughs> I um, do want to to have everybody out there know that we're going to be back in just a moment. We're going to bring in Deacon Jake from JP2 to talk a little bit more about this on a practical level. For all of those, again, who are joining us, this is DFW Alive, and this is the Super Hour. We'll be back in just a minute. Hi, this is Dave Palmer with an update on the 10th Annual Summer Speaker Series event, July 19th, Frontiers of Flight Museum in Dallas. We received word that joining us for the event will be Bishop Edward Burns from the Dallas Diocese. We are so excited for him to join us, and we want you to be there, too. Come enjoy a great evening of fellowship, delicious food, an open wine bar, and an invigorating talk by the dynamic deacon, Harold Burke Sivers. Get your tickets at grnonline.com. Only 800 will be sold. This is Tony Beshera. My wife, Chris, and I own Babbage & Associates. We're the oldest placement and recruitment firm in the state of Texas, and we are a proud sponsor of Guadalupe Radio Network. Chris and I are also members of St. Thomas Aquinas in Dallas. Babbage & Associates offers candidates insights into the current job market, and we provide professional candidates that we have interviewed on a face-to-face basis. Our number to call is 214-823-9999, or you can visit us on the web at babbage.com. Would you say yes if God could use your prayer and witness to save lives? When people pray at abortion centers, up to 75% of women with abortion appointments are no-shows. Three out of four not going in for abortions. That's the power of prayer. Sidewalk counselors are outside the three abortion facilities in Dallas to offer loving alternatives to mothers and fathers. But they can't do it alone. They urgently need prayer support. They need you. Will you stand in prayer with them? Visit ProLifeDallas.org or call 972-267-5433. Guadalupe Radio Network thanks Cargo Eye Care of Las Colinas, a longtime sponsor on KATH 910 AM. Cargo Eye Care is owned by Dr. Jonathan Cargo from St. Anne Parish in Capel. Their office and eyewear gallery are centrally located in Irving. Cargo Eye Care offers a full range of services and products to patients of all ages. Most vision and health insurance plans are accepted, including Medicare and Medicaid. 972-432-2020 or on the web at CargoEyeCare.com. Welcome back, DFW. I am Matt Fariki, the superintendent of the Diocese of Dallas, here with Veronica Alonso, our associate superintendent. We're taking over DFW Alive this week to bring you the Super Hour, which is our monthly discussion about how Catholic schools help prepare our students for college and heaven. As we tease before the break, we are here today with a couple of wonderful guests, and right now we're going to bring you Deacon Jake Shrepfer, who is from JP2 High School up in the northern Collin County area. Deacon Jake is the president of John Paul II, and prior to joining JP2 last August, Deacon Jake was the associate director of the SMU Campus Ministry. Deacon Jake had an impressive business career before he began his transition to the ministerial work, and for over 20 years, he held C-level positions within regional offices of leading global marketing services firms. Under his leadership, the marketing services agencies that he worked with received national and international recognition for marketing effectiveness and also creative excellence. He's also got a really strong history of nonprofit experience. He's had board positions at Catholic Charities of Dallas, the Dallas and Citizens Council, the Metro Dallas Homeless Alliance, the Dallas Chamber Orchestra, the Taylor Hooten Foundation, and advisory council positions at the University of Alabama and the University of Texas. We're working on getting him to Notre Dame. We're going to get there. <laughs> 
Deacon Jake has a, has a bachelor's from St. John's University in Collegeville, Minnesota. He's recently received his master's in theological studies from the University of Dallas. And he's also completed some postgraduate work in law and business communications and has a certification in social media. So he is perfect for, I think, what a 21st century Catholic high school really needs to look like. Deacon Jake, we are so excited to have you join us here on the program. Thanks. It's great to be here. And I guess, you know, the first question should have to be really the easiest, but also probably the most complex. So you decided, I guess, about this time last year that you wanted to enter more fully into a life of ministry and leadership within the Catholic system, specifically within JP2, but even before that, over at SMU. So as we've just stated, you have this really impressive resume. You could be doing any number of things right now. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be ministry. Why Why'd you choose ministry? Why ultimately Catholic schools? Well, uh, first of all, I wouldn't I'd ra- I wouldn't rather be doing anything that I'm doing right now. So this has been such a real joy and blessing. But the decision really to enter fully into ministry really started about 13 years ago. So uh, my wife Molly and I were one day just contemplating life as empty nesters. And so um, she had always wanted to be a teacher. So she went and uh, and began to teach uh, at, at a Catholic school, Christ the King School in Dallas. And she's just completing her 12th year of teaching third graders at good old CKS. And, you know, as part of that, she was really a great inspiration for me. And, you know, little husband brag, you know, she's already won two work of heart awards from the Catholic Foundation, but more importantly, it's been really amazing to see how she's won the hearts and affection of students and parents. And so when I saw that, I mean, it just really continued to uh, inspire me. And so I discerned diaconate formation while in the midst of founding a, a small advertising agency with plans to someday transition into full-time ministry, like Zig Ziglar used to say he wasn't retiring, he was refiring. <laughs> and so I'm, I, you know, was always going to be refiring. I just didn't know when. So then I was ordained a deacon in February of 2013. And as you said, 18 months prior to joining JP2, I was at SMU Catholic and, uh, absolutely loved working with the students there. Um, and then why Catholic schools? I mean, it's because I was called. You know, literally and figuratively, you know, uh, last summer I got a call from the search firm doing the search for the interim position and, um, they asked me if I'd be interested in it and I, um, tried to act like I wasn't too excited and I said, yeah, sure. And, uh, it's so I was blessed to be, uh, selected as the interim on August 1st and on December 1st they removed that part of the, the interim part from my title, and uh, and I really firmly believe that my presence at JP2 is totally providential, you know, as this position aligns so well with my previous experiences in business and in nonprofit, it aligns with my gifts and my talents, and, you know, I guess most importantly, uh, aligns with my passions. And for me personally, Catholic education was a game changer in my high school years at St. Thomas Academy in Mendota Heights, Minnesota, which is a suburb of St. Paul, were the most formative and fun four years of my whole life. And uh, 
And I also believe that Catholic education has probably never been more important in the United States than perhaps when they founded them uh, because immigrants couldn't go to uh the, the public schools. And, you know, and I just want to put my missionary zeal to work and to practice here to help grow the Catholic community in greater Collin County. Well, and I think that's beautiful. You know, ultimately, we talk about this a lot on the show. We have about 1.3 million Catholics here in Dallas, and we're underserving them in terms of the number of schools that we have, in terms of the average size of schools that we have. All of those are really best in class here in Dallas. But it does create the issue, which is if you're to go up to St. Louis, which has, for example, 500,000 Catholics, they've got about 140 schools. And so the, the idea being here is we continue to move north and we continue to grow. We are not keeping up with those areas and certainly in that sense jp2 is the tip of the spear up in northern collin county to make sure that we're continuing to push those things together now we teased at the beginning of the program that there's this sense of reimagining jp2 going on right now can you talk to us about what that means and some of the aspects of what you're trying to achieve there yeah well i would say it's more than a sense it's a mantra and when uh, we started the uh, professional development um process at the beginning of the school year, uh, that was a mantra that I introduced um, to the faculty and the staff. And, um, you know, again, going back to alignment of my my experience with this situation, I probably had in my business career four or five successful opportunities to help organizations um, and lead them through man- management change and transition into the next chapter of uh, of growth and vitality. And so reimagining JP2 is really the beginning, I think, of a longer strategic planning process where hopefully we'll emerge as a Catholic college preparatory school with a great national reputation in Collin County. And so this is almost like the first step to really collaborate and listen to the faculty and staff with respect to what they think the future of the school should be and and what their hopes and dreams would be for the school and to align that with what the needs are to be um, a next-generation school serving families in greater Collin County. If you're just joining us, this is DFW Alive. I'm Matt Variki along with Veronica Alonzo, and we're talking with Deacon Jake Shrepfer from John Paul II High School. Now, Matt, earlier you referenced the, the growth of the, the Catholic population within the Dallas diocese. But in particular, I kind of want to focus in on Collin County. Uh, you know, the growth is just staggering. You know, just from one year, from last year to this year, I think it was 30,000 30, people. I mean, that's 82 people a day that are moving in to Collin County. Um, so, you know, how how is John Paul II poised now or going to be to meet the demands of that growth? Well, we're currently poised to take a lot more students, so. <laughs> okay, so there's the capacity now. If you're listening and you're moving into the area. Yeah, the operators will be waiting at the school. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but, I mean, that's the, you know, the, the, the big question. And, you know, I think I read in the Dallas Morning News, maybe it was yesterday, there's like 40 people a day moving into Frisco. And so it's, it's phenomenal. Um, but you know, it's as Matt, Matt alluded to. You know, we're under we're underserving with respect to Catholic education in in northern Collin County in particular. We have all the big parishes in Frisco and McKinney and Allen who are busting at the seams, and the only um, 
the only access to for young adults or teens is is through faith formation um, while they're going to public school. And that's great. Uh, it's just not ideal with respect to forming um, our the next generation in the Catholic faith. So, you know, um, we're working with the parishes uh, in northern Collin County, and that's an area where we really need to improve the collaboration, frankly. Um, but we have at least uh, we have a more intentional dialogue and strategic approach to that. And uh, it's so we're really working with pastors and youth ministers to help to have them help us identify families that would like to be part of John Paul II. And then we're offering uh, financial aid. Uh, those parishes have all been, were kind of founding parishes of JP2, and they made financial commitments to start the school. And what we want to do is kind of repay those parishes now and uh, and also partner with them. And so um, as we've reimagined, we really are working hard to re- and, and, and it's really been fun to reimagine our our campus ministry and Catholic identity aspects. And so that's going to be a very important part of our Catholic identity moving forward is how we can be a better asset to those parishes and how we can better help the families in Collin County that are moving in um, find a home uh, at a Catholic high school in Collin County. And this is a lot different from what Bishop Burns, for example, was dealing with in Juneau. In fact, we, we've had this conversation a couple of times. He's got, I think, six parishes here in Dallas that the parish is larger than the diocese was in Juneau. Not geographically, but in just in terms of the number of Catholics. He joked with me that at one point last year when he was up at St. Jude and Allen, and at St. Francis in Frisco, that um, he wound up actually confirming more students in that weekend than he had in the entire time that he was in Juneau. And, you know, those elements are part of how we have to kind of look at, well, what ultimately is the scalability of this aspect and and how do we grow and how do we come together? And these are things that a lot of bishops in the country are not dealing with. It's all about how do you shrink? How do you continue to get smaller in order to kind of serve the needs that you have? So it's wonderful to have somebody like him who, who ultimately is looking at this and saying, we can have the lungs of Catholic education and faith formation and they can come together. And as, as you said, rightly so, it's not ideal for our students to only have access to faith formation programs. We understand fully. That's the best bet for some of our families. But just on a numbers game, faith formation meets 23 times a year for an hour. For us to think that we can have well-formed Catholics who ultimately fully understand the gospel and are connected to the roots of our Catholic faith in that short amount of time is unrealistic. We need to know that, especially within the larger cultural conversation, that we need to spend more time with these kids. And when you put them in a high school where sometimes they're going to be spending 60 to 80 hours a week, much to their parents' chagrin, I'm sure, <laughs> working working hard on these things, we do have a different type of formation and moral development that comes into place, which I think leads to the next natural question, which is, I know, uh, based on conversations with some of your board members on some of the things that you're doing that you're focusing on the social innovation lab project so can you talk to us really about the social innovation lab and the growth that you hope to see come out of that uh, absolutely and i could talk about that all day because i'm really excited about that so the social innovation lab is a um a program that we're going to pilot this fall which uh, we believe is an innovative approach to formative education and catholic identity 
where we, JP2, will partner with corporations, social service providers, community leaders, and other professionals to design adaptive solutions, meaning solutions that have never really been designed before to solve real community problems. Um, and to me, it's like the next generation of community service for us. So let's just say, you know, hypothetically, we are, are well, it isn't hypothetical in that currently our, our campus ministry and our community outreach is a really high-touch uh, um, service, okay? We, we're touching people one-on-one. We're meeting with them, and that's not going to go away. But it's, so let's say we, we touch a 1,000 people literally uh, in a year. What if we can use technology and other um, partnerships to design a solution where we could develop a sustainable solution to the problem and touch thousands of people every year. So that's the really exciting aspect of this. And and that's what's been fun about JP2 is because we're such a new school, you know, uh, we can, I think, be a little bit more nimble and, uh, and, and again, this is an, this is an example of how what we think is important in serving families in Collin County now and in the future because Collin County is basically the Silicon Valley of of Texas and there's a lot of innovation going on there and if our school doesn't reek of innovation um you know we're not going to be attractive i mean the other thing about Collin County we're we're so we're underserved uh, from Catholic feeder schools in northern in the high growth areas of Collin County um, we're also surrounded by great independent school districts with shiny new buildings and all the bells and whistles and free education. Whereas, you know, uh, some of our, um, our partners in Catholic education in Dallas, you know, are dealing, um, more with Dallas independent school districts and whether it's, it's correct or not, the reputation in many cases is very bad. So, so families are, are running to our schools here. It's going to take more, uh, as I said, that missionary zeal because build it and they won't not, they won't necessarily come. Absolutely. Well, and I think it's important that we continue to kind of push on the quality aspect as well. Because the simple answer is our Catholic schools should not just be this alternative to something which is not meeting the needs of kids. It should be something which is meeting a very specific and hopefully profound need for our students, which is the formation aspect, right. you know, rooted within the Catholic tradition, rooted within this academic community and putting those things together. Yeah. You know, so now that you, you – it looks like you're coming upon nine months, almost a year, you know, within this position <laughs> – so when you look back on that, what has been the most surprising aspect of working in the school community? And I know you referenced SMU, uh, you know, and I, that the building you were in, I think, was on the campus. But, mm-hmm. you know, but working in a place where it's, it's, it's oozing the Catholic identity piece of it, you know, what's been most surprising? Well, you know, I uh, I think it's been more of a year of affirmation than a year of surprises. Um, because, you know, I've been involved in Catholic education, you know, as a student, as on boards and, uh, parent. And so, uh, um, I, you know, I th- thought I knew pretty well what Catholic school is all about, Catholic education, and I do. But to me, it was really, but I've been on the outside. And the closest to the inside has been, 
you know, nightly discussions with my wife. <laughs> and so it was to me this year it was a year of affirming what I frequently saw on the outside and what I heard in stories from my wife is incredibly dedicated faculty and staff committed to formative education. It's amazing. And then um awesome, you know, emerging young adults all around who are eager to learn and searching for meaning and purpose and there's tons of laughs and lots of joy in the building and so um it's just been amazing yeah we've probably got time just for one kind of final thought as you look at this uh, what has been the most rewarding aspect uh well just seeing i think uh before my very eyes, seeing students being formed and transformed. So this, I think it was Wednesday. This year's, this week's been kind of a blur. Um, this Wednesday we have our, had our underclassmen awards and there was a junior that had transferred from public school. Um, and he lives with his mom, a single mom who's been making tremendous sacrifices because she wanted him to have the education you just described, Matt. And so, during this award ceremony, he won a Bishop Grauman Award, which we only two stu- students per class won. And he came into the school year this year really struggling. I mean, homework was a foreign concept to his experience in, in the public school system that he went to. And so he really was struggling. And you know what? He just worked his tail off and was committed to doing great work. And so he received the award for the most improved student in the whole school. Well, and I think that's why we ultimately do those things. Well, Jake, I want to thank you so much for being with us here today. We have to uh, hit a break here. And when we come back, we'll be with Joe Dingman and Lydia Torres to talk a little bit more about the Catholic Housing Initiative. Stay with us. Mark your calendars and tell your friends. St. Mary the Virgin Parish in Arlington will host a Vacation Bible School July 9th through 13th at the parish. Registration will begin soon. Children ages 3 through 11 are invited to participate. Volunteers from age 12 and up are welcome for one day or all of the days. Child care is available for volunteers. Adults of all ages are always welcome to volunteer and are much appreciated. For more information, visit stmarythevirgin.org. Are you worried about high school? Are college and faith important to you? Is money limited? Crystal Ray Fort Worth High School is the affordable answer. Serving families with limited income, Crystal Ray Fort Worth is a private Catholic high school that prepares young people to succeed in college and life. Crystal Ray Fort Worth High School is now accepting applications. If you'll be a high school freshman next year, you should apply. Find us online at Crystal Ray Fort Worth High School, the school that works. My name is Reg, and I'm the facilitator for Project Joseph for the Diocese of Dallas, a day of healing for men who've been affected by an abortion decision. I've personally suffered the shame and guilt of an abortion, but Project Joseph helped me because it's by men, for men, and completely confidential. Our annual retreat is Saturday, June 30th. For more information, leave a confidential message at 469-416-2101, and I will contact you. Or go to projectjosephdallas.org. Let us help you lay down your burden at the feet of Jesus. 
Are you paying too much for health insurance? Are you paying for mandated coverage that you don't need? Terry Bush with Insurance Solutions for You.net is a new sponsor of the Guadalupe Radio Network. He offers products such as non-ACA health insurance, Medicare supplements, accidents, dental annuities, and travel insurance. Terry can be reached via phone at 866-566-3776 or online at InsuranceSolutions4U.net. That's InsuranceSolutions, the number 4U.net. Welcome back to DFW Alive. I'm Matt Variki along with Veronica Alonso. This month, we're bringing you the Super Hour, our monthly discussion on how Catholic schools are affecting people here in the DFW area and ultimately leading them to college and heaven. We've been talking today about some organizations that are serving underserved populations, and so those connections give us a chance to talk about ultimately how Catholic schools can help affect an entire community. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Veronica to introduce our next two guests and talk a little bit here about the Catholic Housing Initiative. Yeah. So we're excited to have in the studio here with us today Lydia Torres. She's been an educator for 40 years. She taught in Dallas ISD for seven years and has spent the last 33 years with the Catholic Diocese of Dallas in several roles, such as a classroom teacher, a principal at various Catholic elementary schools, and currently she serves as a director of advancement for Bishop Dunn Catholic School. Uh, she's been married for 39 years and has three married sons with six grandchildren, and she belongs to St. Cecilia Catholic Church in Oak Cliff. Um, and I'd also like to add is that she was a student at St. Cecilia, then returned to teach at St. Cecilia, and eventually she became their principal before moving to Bishop Dunn. So as you can see, she's been truly vested within the St. Cecilia and Catholic community. Joe Dingman is a longtime service provider to real estate investors, uh, focusing on investment and property management. He has done this with his own firm for 20 years and before that as an executive of a national firm. His education and work experience is in finance and he holds a CPA license. Joe Dingman was the founding board member of the Catholic Housing Initiative, which we're going to refer to as CHI within the show, in 1991 and is actively involved with the business to this day. He is married to Carol. They have two adult daughters, one in Denver and the other in St. Paul. Uh, he's an avid reader of history and historical fiction, and he and Carol are both interested in local political governance, and he hopes to soon return to his family history studies and then write a book about um, his own anecdotes. So we're thrilled to have with us today Joe Dingman and Lydia Torres. Well, Joe, I think first and foremost, for those of for the people out there who are not really familiar with the Catholic Housing Initiative, can you give us an overview of the history and how the organization came to be? Sure. Before I start, though, I'd like to uh, thank you and Veronica for having us on the show, me and Lydia. We're, we're always happy to talk about the Catholic Housing Initiative, and this is a great opportunity. Thank you. No, it's great to have you. And, and again, this is a, a wonderful tie-in between the two types of communities that we serve, because ultimately we want to make sure Catholic schools are good for Dallas. And one element of that is certainly education by making sure that Families don't get into these these types of trouble that we're probably going to be talking about here. But then the second is making sure that there are jobs, housing, various elements within the community that will actually sustain these families after they get that education. Yes, of course. As to the history, uh, a little prelude, I believe that luck is a central part in everybody's strategy. A lot of people don't acknowledge that, but I but I really feel that. And that's true in the case of CHI. Our initial mission was to create a Catholic retirement community. So 
we set out to do this in 1991, and I should say that we as a small group of Catholics led by uh, a now deceased Monsignor Killian Broderick, we set out to acquire a property that we thought would be the grounds or the basis, rather, for a Catholic uh, retirement community. We um, had great success in acquiring property, but none of them were really suitable for the retirement community, and so we ended up using luck, as I said before, to amass a portfolio of affordable housing that we bought very opportunistically in the 1990s. Uh, only in, the, in 2000 did we get back to the original mission, which was to develop a Catholic retirement community, which is today very successful. It's called St. Joseph Village in Capel. We brought in, as we were developing it, Chris's Health, because we felt the um, project was really bigger than we were. So at the end of the day, they agreed to not only operate it, but they ended up owning it. And so we're still uh, a big fan of, of that, but no longer involved in it. So as a result, we retained our uh, big foothold in affordable housing, and we continue to work on that to this day. Yeah. So, you know, everyone here can certainly see how home prices have been increasing around the area and in some areas, I mean, almost spiking to, you know, 300 percent, et cetera. And especially now when people are getting their property taxes. But and so this makes it more difficult for families to find safe, affordable areas to live. Um, and so we also know that this impacts those that are on a fixed income that don't have that savings account that they can, that they can tap into, you know, to be able to to afford these increases. So how does CHI address these issues? Well, first of all, housing is a long term asset. Once you get in a situation of suffering, increasing values, it's really too late to address the root problem. I personally believe that homeownership is the key to resolving this, but that's a long-term sort of a prospect. You have an, another it. show? <laughs> yeah, another show, perhaps 20 years from now. Um, but in the short term, there's really only two ways to cut back the cost of housing. One is to have lower capital cost. The other is to have, in effect, a, um, uh, a subsidized rental arrangement. Both of those are possible in the short term. Uh, uh, rental assistance comes through a variety of government programs, commonly known, known as Section 8. Uh, house, or capital cost, rather, can be done through either uh, – public sponsorship of your capital or through a charitable sponsorship of your capital or both. If you're just joining us, this is DFW Alive. We are taking over the airwaves this week with the Super Hour, and we're here with the Catholic Housing Initiative, specifically Joe Dingman and Lydia Torres, to talk a little bit about how they're impacting some of the communities that we serve. One of the things, I uh, right before I actually came over here today, I was in a meeting with Bishop Burns, and he is a huge fan of the St. Jude Center. One of the things he wanted to make sure we brought up as we talked with you today was was really the St. Jude Center. And so now that you've had these opportunities, we're working with these public-private partnerships, and the St. Jude Center is certainly a huge part for that, for Catholic Charities, for everything that's happening here in Dallas. Can you talk to us about the partnership and what the St. Jude Center is going to ultimately mean to the community? You bet. The same increasing costs have essentially put us in a position of not being not being able to expand our core services to simply affordable housing. So we 
worked on our strategy and decided that we would up the ante a little bit and focus more on supportive housing, which is what St. Jude Center is all about. It's essentially uh, 100 units of supportive housing for ex-homeless people. So when we put the project together a year and a half ago, we went around and tried to, in effect, get subsidized capital, and we were very successful in that. We managed to get approximately 60% of the total capital required for the project from accommodation of the city of Dallas, Dallas County, and the Federal Home Loan Bank. And a great shout-out to each of those, by the way. They're, they're, that was essential to putting the whole thing together. And then in addition to that, we provided our own capital, and we're raising a bunch of charitable capital. So it's the, it's the classic mix of public-private capital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I, I kind of, Lydia, if you can help me with this one. So we, we've talked about um, the Catholic retirement community, St. Joseph, St. Jude's, but La Estrella development. I mean, that's pretty close to St. Cecilia. Um, and so we know that you're developing projects around some of those Catholic schools and churches, um, Blessed Sacrament, I think, as well. So can you talk to our public if they're not familiar with La Estrella development and what to, what it's doing for families in Oak Cliff? Thank you. Yes, La Estrella is right in the backyard of Blessed Sacrament. And uh, what that is doing is giving families the opportunity to buy their new home for the very first time, for first-time homeowners. And what that means for the family is stability. It, it provides home ownership. It creates a stronger family network. And when you meet the basic needs of families, then you can begin to think about those other things that will elevate the family, namely education. And with our Catholic schools in in Oak Cliff uh, and plenty of available seats there in our schools, those are opportunities for families in La Estrella to to look to the future and to see how education can then impact them because we're helping them meet their very basic needs first. Yeah, but I think one of the unique things here is that there are some income limits that are going to apply to this. So it's not just like, oh, I have half a million. Can I come in and buy a townhome? I think La Estrella is, is kind of a little different in that. Can you describe that? It is. You have to meet the income limits uh, on, the, on the low income side. So where families originally who may have thought they couldn't buy a home can now qualify to buy a home. And what a joy, because then, again, it, you're going back to creating roots. You're creating stability for these families. And instead of trying to figure out, you know, how they're going to meet their their rental needs or not having a place over their head, they have a safe, affordable uh, home where they uh, can create this uh, family network that then becomes stronger and they can begin to look to to other things that before they, they couldn't even concentrate on because there was no place, there was no roof over their heads. Yeah, I mean, you're like I said, you know, that young lady that I was talking about, you know, just the loss of a job and that was it. Mm-hmm. And they lost a home, you know, or wherever it was that they were living. Um, and, you know, and those are difficult because they affect, you know, the where are they going to get food from? How? What about their transportation? Is there even local transportation, et cetera? So, you know, when I look at Las Tres and where it's located, I mean, there are so many public transportation, dart lines, the train. You know, you have the, these other community outreach programs that are there as a community to support them. Um, and that's what we're grateful for. Is there another Estrella in the future? Right now, we're not talking about La Estrella in the future, but you never know. Opportunities present themselves all the time for uh, CHI, and that's the beauty of working with this board, because we're always thinking about how we can make a greater impact for our families here in Dallas. I think that's wonderful. One of the things that we used to talk about, I, I came in through a Holy Cross school at Notre Dame, and Holy Cross 
priests were always a missionary order based out of France. And one of the things that they talked about is when they would go to Bangladesh, when they would go to Africa, they would always ask people, what is it that you need first? And the simple answer is they would never build a church. In fact, the church typically was fourth on their list. The first thing they always built was a well because people need clean drinking water. And from there, they would build a clinic. And then from there, they would build a school. And finally, and only fourth, they would build a church. And in many respects, I think that we have the same responsibility here in Dallas. We have to meet the basic needs. It's great to tell people we have to connect with Jesus. It's a lot easier to do that if you're warm and well-fed. We don't have a ton of time left, and so I want to make sure that we have a chance to kind of cover a couple other points here. Um, one of the things that we're really appreciative of, of you, Christus Health, has been just kind of the ongoing support that you provided for Catholic schools and specifically getting new students into our schools each year. Why the partnership? I mean, why are you interested ultimately in supporting Catholic schools? Well, I believe that CHI shares in the same philosophy of the Catholic school mission. I believe that by meeting these basic needs of these families, just as you said, Matt, you can then give families the opportunity to think beyond that. You know, if your stomach is growling and there's no roof over your head, how are you going to think beyond that? And so uh, we share a similar mission. And so to that uh, the CHI board is very supportive of the Catholic schools, and we have made a number of grants to other schools as well. And I think that speaks to uh, the trust that our board members have in what our Catholic schools are doing today. Matt, if you don't have good housing, nothing else in your life works well. You can rest on that. So our interest is good housing, and we feel that feeds all the other aspects of the individual's whole life. Yeah, Joe, I'm intrigued. Before the show, we talked a little bit just kind of about some of your thoughts. And and ultimately, we've got about uh, got about two minutes for you to kind of put this together, which is probably unfair. But if you had two minutes and you had to give people out there advice on what they could ultimately do in their community, nationally voting, what what would it be in order to ultimately make sure that they're leading to to really strong housing initiatives for people here in Dallas? I think the root is uh, home ownership, as I said at the outset. So we need to figure out ways to encourage people to own their own home. And often that has to involve capital. Most most people that are low income simply can't afford to own a house, and that's why they end up renting. And that's in turn why the core of our operation is rental housing. But I do believe that home ownership is the key. there's some tax policy issues that that have to be resolved right now at a federal level. We're spending roughly a quarter trillion dollars on housing assistance. Eighty percent of that inures to the upper middle class. It's really kind of silly polit- uh, from an economic standpoint, but it's maybe politically very smart. So we need to adjust that. Well, I want to thank you both for being on here today. The Catholic Housing Initiative is obviously a huge part of really kind of us approaching these communities in a new and better way. And, and again, thank you both to Joe and Lydia for your support personally for everything that we're doing in with Catholic schools. We are just about out of time, and we're going to have to do it with that for this week. As always, we want to thank our guests, Deacon Jake, Lydia, and Joe. Thank you for taking time out of your day to be with us. To all of you listening at home, thanks for supporting our mission of getting students to college in heaven. This has been the Super Hour, standing in this week on DFW Alive.